Hey there. Welcome to the Best Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Fennessy, and I'm joined by Master Anna Planner, Donna Schumar. During this podcast journey, we hope to explore high-level Anaplan modeling concepts and connect you, the listener, with the expert Anaplanners that are at the forefront of the platform's innovation. Stay tuned for thought-provoking conversations with our amazing guests. We plan to feature guests that span multiple industries, such as retail, finance, supply chain, sales, and many others, as well as bringing in pioneers in advanced data modeling and data integrations. Our goal is to provide our audience with as much free knowledge, value, and insights into the ecosystem. So we hope that you join us in that mission. Welcome back to the Best Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Fennessy. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and confidant, Master Anna Planner, Donna Sumar. But we also have a surprise guest on the podcast today. He spent nearly seven years at Anaplan and was instrumental in the evolution of the calculation engine and modeling best practices, as well as co-authored the Anaplan Planual, a document that is very near and dear to our hearts here at the Best Practice Podcast. David Smith, welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. So, David, we, we always like to start off with our guests, uh, just getting a kind of a background of yourself, your personal background, um, as well as we'd love to kind of hear how you got into the into the modeling world and how you what your journey was at Anna Plan and how you got started there. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm an accountant by trade and I, I kind of qualified from that in the in the early 90s. So showing my age a little bit there, but um, wasn't really into the actual sort of accounting, accounting stuff and, and very quickly in my first sort of job out of out of university, to be honest, was in a, a role that required me to actually start picking up spreadsheets. Um, the company wanted to transition their board pack into spreadsheets because Excel was the big thing that was just, was just coming out in the sort of early 90s. So I was very quickly into that. My degree was actually a combination of accounting and computing anyway. So I always had that sort of analytical bent. Um, and just gradually sort of over the next sort of decade, I had a lot of commercial analyst roles, um, I had offices and businesses. So I was always in the numbers and got very, very good at spreadsheets, self-taught effectively, and just following that through. And then in the sort of early 2000s, um, having dabbled and been involved in some systems implementation things as a project team, I was given the opportunity to actually project manage and implement um, a, a datum software as it was then. So it was the forerunner to one of Michael Gould's first products, effectively, before Anaplan and before Cognos. It was kind of this. So it was one of those things I jumped at it and said, well, you know, this is what I was trying to looking for before. So I, I project managed it, chose the product, implemented it, and then ran that system for about eight years in that company. So I was the system administrator as well as doing sort of analysis stuff on the side for other parts of the business when they wanted that stuff. So was getting a bit of that kind of analysis capability, using the products, understanding what the capabilities and moving from spreadsheets, which is obviously once you go from spreadsheets to something like, obviously the folks on the call probably know Anaplan, it's, you then just realize what you've been missing, what the limitations are of spreadsheets. I, I moved from that company into doing consulting of, of that software. Um, and then that's sind sort of how I transitioned into the Anaplan role. Um, and I joined, I joined in 2014. Um, there were 100 people in the company. So it was in the sort of pre sort of super hyper growth stage, just at that point where it's sort of taken off. And I was a solution architect there and obviously got to, got to travel the Europe primarily, but a bit in the world as well with our big clients and, and gradually worked my way up to, um, probably about 2000 and I think it was to that late 2016, 17. I was, I moved into the special operations group as it was then, which was 
a very small select group of people that were tackling the problems that you know we were and our plan was getting at that point where the big companies were now doing more and more with the platform and cut, hitting more and more issues with it because it was beginning to push the boundaries of what was capable so we were the team that helped with that and that kind of that team transitioned into the operational excellence group which is around today um and so i was 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 sort of key member of that team and it was in that time that i we were spending a lot of time with our support teams was dealing with more and more of these issues and we had that you know for those of who watched the launch thing in san francisco we had this kind of light bulb of things is why do we not try and find out why this is happening not just fix it so it was then that question of well i've built two ways of solving a problem i don't know which is performs better and so we went down that route of well let's do both and that's how the whole of the plan you all started was actually let's do this properly let's go down every single thing that we don't know find out what works what the engine prefers what it doesn't work but if you if you kind of go through the whole Planual and plans thing. It's a lot of it's not just about performance. It's balancing all of that together because sometimes you don't want it to be super fast and horrible to use. You, you've got to balance all of that stuff around what's easy to use, what performs well. But what I'd learned through my sort of system administrator role was you also have to think about the person who needs to, to manage this system. So you've got to make it sustainable. You've got to make it um, able to be updated, and someone's got to actually manage it. So you have to balance that as well. And we'll come on to that in a little bit when we talk about things to avoid. And, you know, you've got to think ahead a little bit about how you want the system to run. So in the, my final days at Anaplan, I moved into the, um, so actually looking after the core engine and trying to help the development of the, of the actual engine underneath it. So it was almost like a full circle for me from a, a customer using it, going through all the implementation stages of being a partner and then being part of the company to actually being the one who helps develop the software. So I kind of did the whole circle um, in, in that sort of time frame. Um, and then obviously, as we'll touch on towards the end, what I'm doing now is something sort of taking all of that experience and trying to do something a bit different and a bit new. So um, we'll, we'll, leave the, uh, we'll leave the list just hanging a little bit and get to that at the end. That's great. Uh, obviously, the plans and the planual methodology is, is, a, is kind of core to who we are as our podcast. Obviously, our name is The Best Practice Podcast. So we would love to know from the source, why bother with best practices? It's it's something that's really interesting, actually. And I ha- actually, I, I did have a couple of people who came back to me when I when I did do the plan. You were saying this is stifling innovation. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna limit creativity because you're telling people what to do. So where does people think for themselves? And it's a very valid point. But I think the way I think of it is, you know, with age comes experience, which you can't shortcut. You know, we all know that you you learn things by trying things, and you learn what works and you learn what doesn't work. So best practices are about trying to help people not have to go through that pain because we've all been there and i think if you're a parent who's got teenage children you know exactly what i'm talking about when you try to tell them not to make the same mistakes you do and you know that they're not going to listen to you because they think they know better and they're going to go through the same thing but you try you try and help people not make the same mistakes so it's kind of that's kind of what i think best practices are they're not saying don't ever do something different and you know the reason we put that in the plan you with the exceptions was there are times when you don't do that or, or there's a reason why you don't do it. And again, the, the analogy I use is you don't just jump in a car and drive it. You'll crash it. Someone teaches you where the brakes are, where the throttle is, where the steering does, how to drive a car. You learn the basics of how to drive a car. Once you know how to learn to drive a car, now you can take it on a track and do turns and skid it and do because you you know the rules and you know the boundaries. So for me, best practices is about trying to give that framework of this is just good practice generally. 
and, and that applies in all industries and it certainly applies in in modeling there are certain things which are just through time and experience and everybody trying their own thing have come back to the same thing going actually guys this is where you should start and this is where you should sort of center yourself because in most cases this is the right way you may think differently and want to be innovative but i bet you most of the time you're going to come back and do exactly what we just told you because it is the right way to do it and we're trying to shortcut you so that you don't have to actually have to go through that discovery phase and going back to what we said about excel there's a lot of things in excel that that i now do out of habit because we know that's the right way to do it and it's the same thing with most most sort of software and tools is you do things by default now because you've learned it actually saves you a lot of time if you do that up front and i think that's where that's where best practices for me comes in and and like we've said with the planual not all of those are very very anaplan specific and and they they're general because there's not that many syntax sort of structures in the planual there's if you look at the ones around dashboard designs and things like that that's that's just a good layout design that's come through years of people building things and observing people and doing all the research and 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 we're using those now in in our with our researchers that the the same things like progressive disclosure that's just good practice and so it doesn't have to be a specific you write your formulas like this that's not that's not yeah there's 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 elements of that but actually best practices is much broader than that um and it shouldn't be tra- treated as a kind of hard and fast boundary and I'm not allowed to move away from it that's not what they are because they are best practices they're not the only practices so if you if you want to try things and I certainly in my earlier career of various products have broken them because I was trying stuff that wasn't intended to do and it got it to work f- would have failed miserably in lots of the the planual rules but sometimes you have to do something to make it work and it doesn't follow the good, the good rules but I think you learn from that you learn what bits work and what what don't work um so I think it's it's always worth if someone's if someone's taken the effort to and particularly with someone who's offering advice you should take it because they're doing it for the right reasons and they're trying to help even if you don't agree with them don't dismiss it because there might be an element of what they've said that is actually true and you have to kind of put your pride back and go you know what they're actually right in, in some of that and i think that's important to, to to bear that in mind of best practices so when you think about best practices you know you mentioned a little bit about how some of these are technology agnostic when you're thinking in terms of an implementation and kind of like the client's business process how much of it is the client adopting their process to the technology versus the technology being adapted to the process like what what's the right balance there it, that's a really good question um i i certainly think from experience uh, and that implementation that i spoke about my first sort of uh, foray into this we try to do both at the same time we tried to change a process and make it fundamentally different to what the guys were used to as well as introducing technology that's not a good idea because you get people who are trying to adapt to a new piece of software and a new way of doing it and it generally doesn't work so i think you have to be very careful what what technology is not normally or it depends on what we're talking if we're talking in the modeling space technology in this case is not going to help your process it will enable your process and enable you to streamline your process but it won't change your process so people need to look at the pro- a bad process is a bad process you can chuck as much technology as you like if the process is flawed the process is flawed so some people think that they can just stick a new piece of technology in and it will solve the bad process and they find that it doesn't it might, you're still going to get benefits but it might actually exacerbate certain areas of the process because 
Now it's more obvious that those are in existence, like data, for example. You stick tools on top of your already rubbish data, and it just highlights the fact that it's really bad, and you've got loads of different versions of the same thing, but nobody, everyone managed it independently before. Now you put it in one place, and everyone goes, this is really bad. It's like, yeah, it's always been like that, but it highlights it. So I think what we used to do in our kind of solution architect role was not necessarily ask people to be changing their processes as part of the, the implementation, but you would try need to understand the process because I think when you're designing a, 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 something, a big implementation like Anaplan, you do need to think about who's going to be doing what and who's going to be doing it when, how much of that overlaps, because you want to make sure that there is no point in having a lovely process that is, is a day late because somebody needs to go in on a Monday morning and do something. If you've made things available on a Tuesday morning, well, that doesn't work. So you have to kind of align things like that. Um, so as with most things, unfortunately, and, and as you know me, it's my best stock phrase, it depends. <laughs> but generally, I think you have to balance it. And you want to be trying to, if, if you had a perfect world, you would be making the process really good and as good as you could do. And then you use technology to enable that and make it more efficient. Because that's, a be- that's, that's the best thing, to try and put technology in and expect that the process suddenly sorts itself out. Change is hard. Change is hard for people. Um, my, my, one of my bosses that I learned a lot from used to describe it as, as kind of a mountain with two hills. And he said, you get the people who are, you know, everyone's at the top of their hill in their comfortable place. They know what they're doing. Taking, I mean, transition from Excel is a perfect example. You know what you're doing. You're comfortable. You can work at yourself. You can take it home. You know, this was in the days before, before sort of, you know, too much sort of internet traffic. You could do all your stuff at home, bring it back the next morning and submit it just before the deadline. Great, perfect. You put yourself into a collaborative tool that runs around certain deadlines and you've got to get finished. You can't that you can't use at home. And this was pre-cloud. These people are now going, well, I used to take it home and do it at 10 o'clock at night because I was watching. I mean, you're making me not do that now. It's like, this is rubbish. It's like, it's nothing to do with the technology. You've changed their way of working and you're enforcing it on them, which doesn't always work. So he used to describe it as you get you get a mountain and then you get a bigger mountain and there's people who've jumped to the top of the mountain and looking going this is fantastic up here because they they've adopted it they've embraced it they're using it and then you get people who are stuck at the bottom of the hill going i don't like now i'm not using what i was and i don't like what this new thing is i'm stuck this is the worst place in the world and you need people to kind of come down from the big mountain and help those guys up you need people to help the ones that are struggling because some people struggle with with change and they're not early not everyone's an early adopter and can see the value they, they just get i don't like where i am now you know i need to be where i was and i can't go backwards because they've taken the bridge away so so there's no there's no way back and i'm now stuck so you know i think you've got to be careful with change management and really factor that into a lot of the discussions when you come to do implementations it's not just about technology it's about the people and how they work as well which is a lot of the time agnostic to technology yeah that was a lot a lot to unpack there but well, I think there's some gems in there for the audience, especially for our solution architects and master anaplanners out there. I think there's a tilt sometimes to get too focused on the modeling. And you forget sometimes there's people behind this. Yeah, and, and, and often, particularly if you're transitioning from the spreadsheet world into something like Anaplan, is invariably there is a spreadsheet that is the key piece of information that often has somebody's name attached to it. Where do we go for that bit of information? Oh, it's Bob's spreadsheet. Or it's it's you know Martha's spreadsheet. They've got their name on it. It's their thing. They, they they've got this kind of like power because they control it. You take that off them, put it into this centralized, beautiful, easily accessible 
efficient database that now everyone can look at and, and the, the powers that be are going, this is brilliant. We don't have to rely on Bob anymore. Yeah, Bob's not happy because he's lost a bit of his his sort of specialty anymore. It's not his, you know. So you do have to be very, very mindful of the people. And my experience of trying to get good sort of user acceptance in, in a project is try to find, you want people who are definitely up for the challenge. If you can find people who are a bit skeptical and get them on board and get them part of that journey and get them, because if they start telling their colleagues that this is a good idea, now you've got over that hurdle of, well, if they say it's good, everyone else kind of follows along. If you don't involve them, you're going to have some battles trying to get anyone to use something new. As good as it might be, they're just going to not want to do it because it's new and they don't like the fact that someone's told them to use something different. Why should I change is often the thing that we hear, particularly when you've got a a corporate-led, top-down sort of, we've decided at the top level that we're going to buy this thing and implement it. The people at the bottom have no say in it. That's the biggest challenge you get because the users don't want to use it. They don't see the benefit. So you've got to work really hard to make sure you involve them to to sell the benefits to them. So when you're thinking about, I know you mentioned a little bit about spreadsheets and this kind of data. If the data doesn't arrive on time, there's certainly an importance of people. There's also another undervalued aspect of data integration. What are your thoughts just generally about what role data integration plays in all of this happening? Well, I mean, everyone, everyone's aware of the, the, you know, garbage in, garbage out type of phrase. And I think it, it, it's absolutely true. Uh, and it, it's never ceased to amaze me in the companies I've worked at from, from relatively small ones right up to billion dollar companies. The data's often just kind of, it resides in certain places, but it's not often very, very clean. And it's generally because they rely on the people downstream to do a lot of that work. So I think it always takes you longer than you expect it to take. It should almost be one of the, you know, and you have to start early. You know, I think a couple of things that I've sort of sort of said around data integration when, when I've ran my projects in the past was I need to know what data that I need for the, for the go live or, or certainly the, the, the big testing further down the line. I don't need all my data in the system from day one because it's just clutter. You know, I, I only need sufficient data to do my testing, which in most cases is two, is two of anything in a total. That's good enough in most cases because you want to check your mass works. You don't need 4,000 products in there because it just takes you longer if you've got to change anything. So you just got to get that sort of, give me a snapshot of something, whether it's a cost center or a couple of cost centers or a couple of divisions or a couple of, that's enough for me to work with to validate that the maths is going to work I don't need the whole thing. You set your data teams off, making sure that you've got the data for when when it's needed for whatever is appropriate for your user testing. A lot of people that I worked with needed wanted a full like-for-like like data set for a whole division. Fine, if that's important. You can sometimes work back a little bit from that. But, you, do, you know, so you start your data thing off up first and then get the guys. And it's a really good way of involving, again, sort of skeptics from other departments like IT. If they're, if they're a bit nervous about this, it's like, well, from my experience, they like structure. They like, you know, if you can tell them, look, I need this, I need this data, I, the form I need in these columns and this format and, and this is the filters or whatever it is. I don't need it now. So I'm not expecting you to give it now. If you can just quickly just dump something out quickly for me that's representative, that's good. And then, because if you try and say, oh, I've got to change, change controls and it's going to require this, it's like, fine, you've got three months. You know, I'll give you three months to do it. Oh, that's okay. I was, I was worried you wanted it tomorrow. It's like, so you get them on board. And if you start to get them involved in maybe even creating things like lists or bringing some data themselves, then again, they believe, that okay, we're now part of that process. So I think it's obviously critical, the bigger the implementations, but you can't underestimate how 
bad data will undermine anything. Because the first time you show your end users, if that number doesn't match what they expected to see, they don't trust the whole thing. And that's it. You've got a real battle now to say, you know, numbers of times I've seen people, they take their output from one system, they get their spreadsheet output or their other system, and what they're doing, they're ticking across a bit. And anything that doesn't match, they're going, this is rubbish. And that's it. They've gone. You've lost them. And you've got to work really, really hard now to get them back on board because they're going, oh, God, this system we're using is rubbish. It doesn't even add up properly. And it spreads like wildfire. So you can't underestimate how important it is to get your data right and spend more time than you expect on testing the numbers and making sure it's right and expect the fact that it's not going to have all the bits in place and there will be bits missing because there will be. No one's needed them before, but now they do. Obviously, great insight there. And I, I want to take this kind of back because we we found that we uh, we have quite a, a few new members to the you know the to the ecosystem that that tune into our podcast and that have you know found some really good tips and tricks um but i'd love to know from from your perspective what are what are the top three tips that you would recommend for new model builders uh either they're in level one or two or they're getting onto their first project yeah i think again this is the kind of non non-technology specific ones in terms of there's a there's a, a philosophy which i think I think it came from some sort of mindfulness sort of stuff that's come out. And it's also been used for things like road safety and stuff. But if you think of the word stop, then this, this, is, this works really well. Because one, that's it. First thing you do is you don't start, you stop. Um, and you think about what it is you're about to do. And, you know, people, the phrases you've heard, you know, you don't build a plane while, you don't build a plane while you're flying it. And, and, you know, you don't just jump straight in. There's loads of phrases that are the same sort of thing. But... Um, this was brought home to me really well in the in the late eighties, and I said, "This is again showing your age." But this is in the days of floppy disks that were genuinely floppy, and computers where you had to book time in labs. So that's the context. We were given an assignment to do, um, which was coding something. I can't remember what it was. So it was a coding exercise, and you had to be in the lab to do it. And it was for about four weeks down the line. We had to present this back, and the kind of lecture finishes, and everybody legs it downstairs and jumps on the computers and starts tapping away. And about five minutes later, having sort of walked down the four flights of stairs really slowly, our lecturer came in and went, all of you, get out. He said, if I see you in here in another week doing this project, I'll fail a lot of you. And they're like, why? He goes, you have no idea what you're doing, have you? I literally only just set that assignment. You do not know what you're coding. You're just going on trying stuff. And he said, go away, think about it, write it down, bring your tests back, then start building it. And it was kind of one of those things you just kind of went, you felt so embarrassed because he was absolutely right. We had no idea what we were doing. We we're just messing about with stuff, you know. And I think it's very easy with technology to just get going. And I know that there's a, there's a it's a balance again, but there's a real desire to try things. And it doesn't mean you don't prototype stuff. It doesn't mean you don't mock things up. But you certainly have a step back and say, right, what am I going to do? And and, that, and that's when you kind of come back to the to the next part of the stop word, which is T, which is you think about it. And you think about what you're trying to achieve. And, and as you mentioned, Dennis, just think about the people involved. Think about the process. Think about the data. You're just doing that stuff. Okay, what, what, what aspects do I have to think about here that I should think about now? Because I don't want to get two months down the line and then go, you know, ah, yeah. I mean, how many times have people said, oh, if I'd have known that, I'd have done something differently. You're trying to get that level of as much as you can, and you're never going to get everything. But if you don't ever take a little pause, to think about what you're going to do, you're going to end up going down a one-way street and, and get stuck. Um, so then going backwards, you know, and and there's a lot of philosophy. A lot of people think that like, think about the end in mind and, and these things. Same thing applies on here is 
most of the time when I'm thinking about building models and stuff is, is and it is in within the Anaplan training as well, is think about the output. Think about where you're trying to get to. What's the output? And work backwards because you often find that if people go the other way, they then try to get the report out at the end that the people need and the structure just doesn't work with the data structure you've provided. And then you have this horrible bit in the middle. It's like now we've got a problem and it gets mangled around and various things to make it. Whereas if you'd have known that's what you wanted, you'd have built it back the other way. So certainly think that way. Um, so going back through it, you know, O is, is, a, is for observe, which is obviously meant to be kind of like taking stock of your surroundings. But and this works for different people in different ways. But I'm, I like visualizing things. And, and the disco philosophy that's in plans started from a kind of most things and most sort of models or, or calculations have an input, they have a calculation and they have an output. So part of my sort of training uh, you know, through my degree and stuff was about trying to visualize the data flows. And you can do that from a people perspective or you could do it from a data perspective. But you're trying to say, well, how does something go from here to here and what happens in the middle, that kind of transformation? So if you want to, if you just even whatever tool you want to use with your piece of paper, whether it doesn't matter if it's top to bottom, left to right, you try and do that flow of, okay, and not go too deep too soon. So we, we talk about this kind of onion thing where you say, right, to start with, you have almost one blob, which is, this is my system. Great. What goes into it and what comes out of it? So you have all the data feeds in and all the outputs, which might be a file that gets sent to HR. It might be salary data coming in or whatever it is. You then go down a layer and go, right, what's in that first level? And then you go to that part. And then you just keep doing that until you get down to the point when you're starting to talk about individual metrics and individual calculations and individual structures but you don't start there because you don't yet know what you might need you don't know what dimensionality you want for the structures because you haven't got there so you start high level and go i need some sales i need some costs i need some reporting fine drill into the sales is it by customer by channel by whatever okay you start going down and that's when you build up the dimensions and the structures that you need if you try and do that without thinking about the data flows and structures you're going to miss things and again you'll get You'll get data structures that don't match. And, you know, most tools, Anaplan is particularly, you know, the same as when things match like for like, it's easy. It's when the transformation happens that you get, okay, these don't line up. Now what do I do? Um, so that, I think that that works really well from a sort of visualization perspective. And then the final way of the stop is, is obviously P, which is, okay, now you build a plan. Everyone talks about, you know, you know, preparing to plan and all this kind of stuff. And then, and then you can start building. So it's kind of, You've now done all of that. Now you can plan it out and now you can start. So I, I like that as a kind of first principle, which is just take that pause, stop first and think. Um, the second sort of big one, and again, this is, you see it all over the place and because you see it particularly in spreadsheets. And, and we talked before about good model building applies and you can have good spreadsheets and you can have bad spreadsheets. You can have good Anaplan models and bad Anaplan models. Hard-coded constants should be a red, should be a warning it's not saying you never, ever, ever have them. But the question I always used to ask anyone when they talked about constants was, is that going to ever change? And if there was any, any form of hesitation, you go, yep, I'm assuming it is. Because most of the time, you know, okay, you can argue that a monthly number is only going to be 12. So yeah, there's things like that where you can go, some of them you probably could get away with. But 365 as a year, now, nah, what happens on the leap year? It's not 365 anymore, is it? It's 366. So don't even tell me that 365 is the right thing. So most cases, you want to look at that and go, put that somewhere else and, and make it available to be changed just in case, because if it does, you know where to go. You know, And again, the story that, that my from, from painful experience, 
I had to change in the UK, our tax rate changed from 15 to 17 and a half percent. I picked up a spreadsheet from someone else and they said, oh, we just need to change the tax calculations. And you go to the tab that you want the assumption and a little 15 to be in there, nowhere to be seen. It was in all of the formulas, but it was also 15% commission rate in our spreadsheet. So when I had formulas that said times 15%, times 15%, I kind of was okay with that. But every other formula that said times 15%, you're like, well, is that commission or is it the tax? It's It's like, why was that not there? You know, and, and that's, again, that's the best practices of learning that most constants will change or they'll change by something. So, again, going back to that thinking ahead, you might have a tax rate that you think, well, that's never going to change. So you put it in a but if you but if you put it in a module or put it in a place or, or an assumptions page or something that says 15 percent, if it then says, oh, it's going to change by year, you can just change that in that one place. And generally, it's not going to cause you too many headaches around downstream. If you haven't done that, now you've got a problem. So even if you don't ever change it for two years, you might then change it. And it's really, really easy to change later. So I think that one is one where most formulas shouldn't have constants in them unless they are something that is absolutely, you know, phasing profile. But even things like phasing profiles and dividing 12 into people change their mind over stuff and say, well, it's not 7.33333 or whatever, 8.33. So most of the time you can argue that just put it there anyway. Doesn't doesn't cost you any time at that point, but it's going to save you loads of time later on. Um, and then the last one, I think, and this is part of the planual stuff that Zanavana plan that I pulled out. And I, and I this this particular bit I can't take credit for because this is Tim Peters who who did the Zenith Python, but it's lifted straight from there because it actually works for most things. Which was simple is better than complex, and complex is better than complicated. And I think the danger with technology, and particularly with diving straight in not thinking ahead this is the outcome is you make something more complicated than it actually should do because you kind of get stuck so you go down an avenue and you sort of make it work and then you go down another one and you end up with this thing and you're going what on earth is this trying to do and it's the same with the formulas and and if you look at a lot of the examples that that my colleagues are now running all these things around looking at these formulas that you see it's like you shouldn't have formulas that run into pages and pages and pages because you're not thinking about what you're doing that's overly complicated. It's also really bad for maintenance because I found errors in most people's formulas when they look like that. But if you look at it and try to deconstruct it, it's like, well, that could be so simple. That could be a one-liner if you just built that bit over there instead of this. Certainly the whole conditional things we talked about. If you're finding you're going if, 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 most of the time you're doing something wrong because that's what multidimensional tools do well is that level of sort of things changing as you go through. So. You know, I think the number of times that people came to me when I, you know, from sort of those who don't know, probably do, but I spent a lot of time on community helping initially with the, with the solutions. And I, and I think that's a brilliant, it's a brilliant way of getting other minds looking at your problem. I think as a, as a, as a sort of approach, it works, it works well. But the numbers of times people would come back when you post a solution and go, oh, is it really that easy? And it's like, yeah, it was staring right in front of you, but you dismissed it because you thought it can't be that easy. But that's the power of, of a lot of these tools is they make the complex simple. However, it's very easy to make the simple complicated if you don't think about it. So, you know, my, my sort of sounder will come on to what I'm doing now. But one of the approaches we want to have is your complexity should be pretty much proportional to the problem you're trying to solve. You shouldn't have to do something that's really complicated for something that's simple. You should be, a, you know, yeah. 
we all know in business, and certainly the, the you know the customers of Anaplan and your and the listeners will say some of these problems are particularly difficult to do, and they are quite complex. But it doesn't mean that you build something that's complicated. So so that should take you longer to do, and it will take you longer to do, and that's even more need for best practices and for structure and for thinking and for planning and because you want to break this thing down into its component parts and if you do that you'll find that each element is relatively simple and it builds up to something more complex whereas if you try and start from the end and just go oh, i'm gonna be, you end up with something that is so complicated it probably won't work probably full of errors so i think you know it, it does go right back to to the stop philosophy as well but i think those would be for me you know, and I said most of those, they're not, they're not formula. They're, they are technology agnostic in the sense of those are just good philosophies for building any kind of model, whether it's in spreadsheets or any, you know, Anaplan tool or anything like that is, is they're the, they're the top three, I would say. There's certainly, again, a lot of gems in stop and your analysis there. But again, I found something interesting, which is underpinning all of that was, again, people, right? So where, I guess, maybe more of a personal question you come from an accounting background, computer science background. Where does your kind of experience or learning about people, where did you kind of sort of start to peel the onion back? Like, okay, it is really people that are working together. Like, what was that moment for you? I think, I think working in a head office was quite useful in the sense of, I mean, my I mean, boss deliberately did it with people. He tried to bring you in the head office so you understood what was required at that end before the idea was you then went to work in the business. And I think that is the first time you actually sort of get multiple people to talk to who are dealing with the same thing. And in that in that case, it was actually um, multi sort of European. So I had I had German colleagues, I had uh, French colleagues, I had you know Czech Republic, etc. So you're dealing with the language barriers, and you're dealing with with that some you know that that kind of it's difficult for Americans and, and and English people to kind of get the fact that yeah everyone speaks English, and actually we just take that for granted. But actually, these people are trying to communicate their their submission to you on a monthly basis and explain the variances in not a native language and you just so so that's that's one aspect of the people thing but i think the real one around the things we just touched on on the change side was was sitting at the managing the system implementation and, and my my ex colleagues and peers because i was i was doing their job before i went to manage it so i knew what job they were trying to do and i knew what we used to do before and then you kind of get you you just totally have that empathy of I can totally see why this is now going to cause them some problems because I would be exactly the same as them. <laughs> but, you know, and, and I think that's, you know, that, that certainly was the start of it in terms of really trying to think about it. Um, but I think certainly the consulting side is, is definitely where you really have to do that questioning and, and establishing what the needs are. And I think, that's something that, that the user story approach and that element of trying to understand what people are saying and putting yourself in the position of the user really helps. But what's also very clear is people don't know what they want if they don't know what they can have. And so you've got to be very careful about what people say they want and try to, often people will come up with a solution because that's what they expect. Whereas actually you've got to you've got to really go back and say what's the need? What is it actually that they're trying to do here? Not what they say they want. I want a spreadsheet that does that, I want a table that does that, or a graph that does that. It's like, yeah, but why? That question of why should be your most used question in any solution architect engagement at the beginning. Why do you want that? Why do you want that? I'm sorry if I keep asking the question, but why do you want it? 
why you have to keep you have to be like a two-year-old kid asking why is the moon round and whatever it's like keep going well why is it up there why, why does it disappear and 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 you, in a way you have to be annoying because often when you do that you can then get the people to realize that sometimes what they ask for isn't actually what they want you know so well, you just said you wanted that oh no yeah but now you've said that that's what i really want it's like fine that's exactly what i want to hear because i would have built that for you and you just said that's not what i want and you say but yeah but you told me you wanted it it's like yeah but now i've seen it that's not what i want it's like you've got to avoid that so you know it really is very much about trying to talk to people and engagement and, and really understand and the more the more you can understand their position and their process and what they're doing and, and how they you know i always used to ask people to explain they might have sent over their process and their, their requirements on a document but i would always ask them to explain it and um, particularly how they do it now if they're doing it now because if they're not doing something now and they're asking for it then that's a better place to be if you're trying to move from something to something else then you've got that you've, you've got now got that change thing because now they've got it set in their minds the way they used to do it so you now got to work harder to move them off that so it is all about communication and there's a, there's a big part of solution architect's role which is that element of i used to say the difference between a, a solution architect and a pure consultant is a consultant will build what he's told to do the solution architect will question why he's got to build it before he does that and it's like you know i'm not going to build this because you've told me to i want to understand why you need it first and i may come up with something that is different to what you've asked for if i think that's the best solution to what you've just told me and then i'll show it to you and you probably will agree with me that that's the right thing to do whereas a consultant just head down goes and builds a thing and they're happy because they get what they want but that's not necessarily the right outcome yeah so i mean would you say you agree then as a consultant solution architect master and a planner technology agnostic the money is made not just in the modeling, but it's actually made in the meetings, the conversations, the relationships with the client, right? That's really where the true core of where an engagement can really either succeed or fail. Yeah, and, and that really is the kind of the going back to the first question. That's kind of why you have best practices. That's why you, you're, you're paid as a consultant to come in or a solution artist to come in is because you're bringing your experience and your most, the best ways of doing things to the table because if people didn't engage you they they would just go off and try and do it and they might get something they're paying you to shortcut those mistakes they're paying you to tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing and what would work and what wouldn't work so that's where there's an element of best practices comes into that as well is that you know you need to be making sure that you're helping your your clients in the right way from all the things that you know and you've learned that's what that's what you're there for your job i mean I used to, I did used to laugh quite a few times on some of these engagements where everyone just keeps on going about what what your product can't do, you know. Well, it doesn't do that. The old one used to do this, and I could do that over there. And you sort of have to step back and go, you chose that you wanted to move from what you're doing to something else. If you want to stick with what you've got, then we can all just cut this now, and I'll leave and go home, and we can save a lot of time because you know the decision's been made. You're moving from that to that, so we have to work with what that is, not what this was. Because you know, um, and, and probably just as a as a fourth a fourth tip, if you like, don't try and build what you had before in another tool in the new tool. Never works. You have to embrace what the new one is, flaws or not. If there's capabilities this new one doesn't do, you have to then say, well, I'm going to try and make it do what that did. That is never going to work. The numbers of failed implementations we've seen where people tried to recreate their spreadsheets in whatever tool it was never works because you've got to think in a different way. You've got to think about the structures and the way that tool is optimized to work, not shoehorn your spreadsheet structure into that. 
it is never, ever, ever going to work. Well, I'm really excited for for our audience to to get an insight into your experience and your journey. I know that Donish and I can attest that we've learned a lot from it. Um, so we're very excited to kind of see what you have next to continue that learning. Um, so, David, what what are you up to now, and and what are you kind of looking forward to in the near future here? Yeah, thanks for thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's not a sort of a plug as such because we we actually at this point don't have anything. So so. As you would have seen possibly on LinkedIn, if people look at it, we've, we've kind of are working for a, for a startup now. It's actually, you know, the founder of the person who essentially wrote Anaplan and Cognos, I was sort of dating before that. So um, what we're trying to do, and, and the really kind of ironic thing for me is if we do what we want to do and are successful, most of what I've just told everybody is is not relevant because you won't need it. Because in most tools, you have to think ahead. You have to do all this stuff. And we sort of talked about, you know, trying to stop yourself making mistakes and trying to stop down blind alleys. What we're aiming to do is to build something that actually allows you to do that, to build a a model or representation, however you want to describe it, of what you're trying to solve without needing to be taught by an expert and have to have somebody handhold you for the first time you do it. Yes, the likelihood is you're going to have to have some form of education in some way, but it shouldn't be that you have to be trained and that you shouldn't have to have a consultant build build it for you. Because the market that we're looking at is is the smaller businesses who don't have access to specialist tools and, and can't afford to pay for them and pay for consultants. That they're they're sort of smaller businesses who are really left with point solutions for various things and spreadsheets. And that's all they've got. And the point solutions do very well with the specific thing they're trying to do. Spreadsheets, we all know, work to a point. But even, even with a relatively small set of data, spreadsheets become very difficult to actually work effectively unless you're an expert and you learn it and you can do something really well and you can make spreadsheets be really, really good on a smaller scale. However, smaller businesses who are trying to manage their businesses haven't got time and, again, haven't got the money to employ a specialist analyst to come in and be the person who learns Excel. They're trying to run their business. So we're looking to sort of take it right back to that and say there are practice. There, there are some, there's obviously the, the the aspects of scaling and performance and things like that, that 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 are needed, but more than that, it's actually trying to say you should be able to jump in and use this tool and get going and get started. If you look at a lot of apps that are around there, you look at your iPhone things like this. You don't go on a training course to learn how to use it. You just start using it, and you can do most of what you want straight away. And then you start delving into the settings and there's various bits and. And you might get to the point where you're trying to do something and it goes a bit further and you need some, you know, maybe someone else in the world has done it and you forums, et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, you want to be able to do all that stuff yourself. And it's a big challenge because spreadsheets are the one that everybody uses. And it is that stepping stone between spreadsheets and something else. So you've got to try and bring it back down to why are spreadsheets successful and try and build something that's that's actually, there's a, there's a fallacy that spreadsheets are easy to use. You first t- give someone a grid and say, off you go. <laughs> now what? What do I do? What's, what's D4 supposed to be? Whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it's just overwhelming. It's like, well, you know, the, the context of you putting things in certain places in spreadsheet is all in your head. There's no structure, which is a good thing in some cases. We also know it's a really bad thing in other cases when you're trying to do all the modeling that we're all familiar with. So it's trying to marry those together and build a platform that enables someone to get going to use it um and actually to sort of share what they've done and use what other people have done and take 
it, it, you know, we all are familiar with the kind of the building blocks and the apps concept and the kind of sort of hubs where you build things. But even those are too big. You want you, we need to go down to sort of con- really lower level areas where you're just taking things proper Lego blocks, but not everyone talks about Lego blocks, but actually the individual Lego block really to say, you know, I want to take that blue one and make it a red one and I don't break everything. Or if I do, it's easy for me to see where it's broken. So it's it's trying to get that area where people can can manage what they need to do, feel comfortable with it, and extend outwards as and when they need it. Um, and as we said, we're pre- pre- predominantly looking to talk to smaller smaller businesses at this first phase. What we've been doing for the last year is very much research and, and talking to people doing a lot of research online about various sort of processes but we're trying to be led by by the product itself we want the product to sort of sell itself so we're we've been customer discovery and we're now at the stage where you know the team in the background have been looking at the maths of it of how do we get all this stuff to work between as we said the transformations that you need to do when you need to add things up or do a proportion or you know allocations all those things where it's like well left and right don't match how do you deal with that how do you how do you add a level to that structure or take it away? All those things that, that are troublesome. Um, so now we're at the point where we want to talk to customers to see whether they, they have those problems. And would you know if, the, if we can find a handful that we can work with them and say, well, let's try and build something to solve that. And again, you, you know, this is where you, you take the, the conscious decision to say, we can't build a general purpose, all flexible, perfect platform straight away. You have to start with something and you, you go right back down and go, this will be a bit hard coded probably in certain cases because we want to establish value that this actually is something you could use. So you try and we're trying to build something that people will want to use and then extend it to say, okay, well, how would someone else use that? How do we now make it generic? How do we now make it extendable? How do we now make it adaptable? Because the worst thing you can do is build the wrong thing well. and We've seen that before where you build something or something comes out and they go, people will use this. And you go, I don't really want that. And we've wasted all that time and effort and money on something that nobody really cares about. So we're going the other way around and trying to be very conscious of building something that we know people have value by finding the customers to say, are you actually using that for your day to day? If the answer is yes, and you're finding value out of it, we know that it's worth pursuing and carrying on. If it doesn't work, we, we throw it away and we start again. And, and so we're, we're not on a very, you know, super duper hyper growth rocket ship type of trajectory we're trying to be much more steady and actually do it right because there's a massive market there it's a very big market but it's a very scary market in the fact that excel sits right in the middle of it and we're not trying to say we're going to going to replace excel because i think anyone to be honest if you say you're going to try and replace it fully you're not going to win because it's too good it's too good at what it does in certain cases but our philosophy is there's a lot of things in Excel that most people don't use and don't need. So you can try and take the best bits out of it and not worry too much about everything that it does. Because <laughs> if they're in that mode and they're an expert, well, okay, they're probably going to use Excel. So we can we can afford not to worry too much about some of that that mode. Um, so I mean, you know, the the, the the kind of plug, if you like, for, from from our side is if you know someone or you your colleague or your you know, brother-in-law or someone who's who's in that space that you know. And a plan would solve the problem for them, but there's no way they could afford it. And they're struggling with data or they're struggling with, with, with you know, managing stock levels or, or sales forecasts or whatever it is, but they're in a pretty small business or just starting up. We'd love to talk to them to see whether we can do something with them. Not everyone's going to be suitable from a time perspective. or for, But if there's any, you know, send them our way and we'll, we'll be very grateful because the biggest challenge for us now is getting people to talk to and work with because 
as for most people, you try and approach them and they're too busy. They don't want to know. It's a sales call, blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't have a product to sell. So we're trying to get over that hurdle of, would you like us to build something for you to help you? Um, you know, kind of co-innovation, if you like. And so it needs to be the right sort of people and the right sort of companies. But I'm sure there's some out there. If we can find them, we can do something and then and then go from there. So we establish it and build on it. And, and you know, um, we definitely will be asking, you know, sort of f- as we develop for certain particular industries we want to focus on because we can get a like set of needs there and then work from there. But, um, but yeah, no, we're super excited. It's sort of taken a year to sort of get to this point of, right, we're now for ready to go to the next stage, but still sort of early days. But, um, yeah, appreciate all of the support and the, the kind messages we had from the from the post. But, um, yeah, it's, um, it's a good place to be at the moment. Yeah, we're we're certainly excited on our our end to hear you know the upcoming news, and I'm sure that you'll have a lot more to share in the next month or year. Um, but we want to thank you for your time today. Um, obviously, we I, I bet Donish can attest as well. We learned a ton during this conversation, and we hope that our audience did as well. So thank you again, David, for coming on, and uh, we hope to talk to you again sometime in the future. Yeah, great. Thanks for thanks for having me, and uh, I hope everybody uh, finds that insightful. Thank you for listening to the Best Practice Podcast. We hope you have gained a few valuable insights from our guests and hosts during this episode. If you would like to hear more best practices, be sure to subscribe and follow along so you can catch every episode as we release them to the community on a weekly basis. 